this evening. Tonight and over the next several Sunday evenings, we're going to be discussing a topic that is something that God has been working in my heart on for about the last year. A topic that God has been stirring in me about and been convicting me about that I want to share with you what I've seen from Scripture and hopefully to be able to, to lay out a little bit about what Scripture says and particularly what Scripture says about caring for the needy. But before we get into that, what I want to do tonight is I want us just to go through just a few statistics, a few things for us to think about tonight. And so you can follow along with your note-taking sheet as we think about some of these. And I just want you to, to hear some of these things. Maybe some of them you've heard, maybe some of them you haven't heard. Right now, more than a billion people live and die in absolute poverty, trying to live off a dollar a day. There are another two billion people in the world right now who live off of two dollars a day. Nearly half the world's population, we're over six billion people, nearly half the world's population lives on less than $2.50 a day. And I want you to think about that for a moment. What can you buy for $2.50? You can't even buy a gallon of gas or a gallon of milk. 1.1 billion people on the world today do not have access to clean water. Right now, there are about 2.2 billion children in the world, and 1.1 billion of them live in abject poverty. 1.1 billion children. 30,000 children die each and every day due to poverty and preventable disease. 30,000 children every day. Right now, there are about 15,000 children in Pulaski County under the age of 18. That'd be like all the children in our county being gone in 12 hours. Children like yours, children like my little Caleb. Every day there are 5,000 children who die due to diarrhea just simply because they don't have access to clean water. 1.8 million children dead every year just due to that. Here in our own backyard, there are children that go to school every day hungry and that face the weekend every week hungry because they do not have enough food. The poverty that is in our world, the needs that are in our world, is absolutely immense. It's almost unbelievable when we start talking about 3 billion people living on $2.50 a day. So I have two questions that I want us to consider tonight. Two questions. The first question is, does God care? Does God care that right now there are 30,000 children dying every day from something as simple as not having food and water? Is God concerned with that kind of need? Is God concerned with that kind of poverty in which children are dying? And the answer that we're going to see tonight as we look through Scripture is, yes, God is concerned for those kinds of needs. God's concerned for the people who are facing that kind of need. God sees the hurt. God sees the pain. God sees the suffering that billions upon billions of people experience day after day in our world right now. And we're going to see tonight scripture after scripture after scripture that shows us the heart, 
that God has for the needy in our world? So that's the first question, does God care? The second question, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us as Christians? If God cares, then it must mean that we also have to have a concern, a care for the needy. So I wanna, I wanna share with you just two quotes, and they're uh, quotes from a couple men that I, I admire very much. Uh, Pastor Bill has C.H. Spurgeon as uh, kind of one of his favorite guys he always references. I have Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards is one of my favorite theologians and pastors. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Jonathan Edwards lived during the 1700s. He was probably one of the brightest men to ever come out uh, of America. He was the, uh, the first president of Princeton, uh, but more importantly, he was a pastor, a pastor and a powerful theologian. And he, he was not prone to exaggeration. He was, uh, uh, he was um, just this soft-spoken, just clear-thinking guy. He was one of the, the people most instrumental in the First Great Awakening, a revival that spread all throughout America. And this, this is what he said. It's the most absolute and indispensable duty of a people of God to give bountifully and willingly for the supply of the wants of the needy. I want to say that again. It's written on your sheet there, but I want, to hit, I want to say it again. The most absolute and indispensable duty of a people of God is to give bountifully and willingly for the supply of the wants of the needy. He puts pretty high priority on it. Another guy is David Platt. Some of you all may be more familiar with him. Students, you've probably heard him at, at Student Life Camp, and uh, I think you're going to be hearing him again this summer. Uh, he's a pastor down in Birmingham, and uh, it's like, mega church down there, three, 4,000 people. I don't know how many they have, but this is what he says. David Platt says, God measures the integrity of our faith by our concern for the poor. God measures the integrity of our faith by, the, by our concern for the poor and for the needy. So these are pretty strong statements that are made here by some men who are pretty well versed in scripture. Can it really be that, that caring for the needy, that caring for the poor is that important in scripture? I'm going to answer it. Scripture says yes. We're going to look through tonight and see what does Scripture say about this. And I, I think one of our problems is that this is, this is a blind spot for us. It's kind of, it's kind of off our radar, so to speak. In, in our world in which we live right here in, in Somerset, Kentucky, this is, this is something off our radar. I can't tell you how many times I have read through this book right here just countless times, how many times I've studied it and, and looked through it and, and not given really a thought to what it says about those in need, about poverty, about the poor. In our situation where we are right now, we're so affluent and have so much. And the poverty that, that we're talking about is so far away it's easy for us to not even think about it. It's easy for us to not really give a thought to the 30,000 children dying every day or the 1.1 billion without access to clean food or water. This might be a blind spot to us. It might be off our radar. It's not off the radar of Scripture. It's not a blind spot for God. Over and over and over again, Scripture cries out God's heart for the poor and needy. And I want us to see that tonight. 
what Scripture says about that. I want you to see that, yes, one of the clearest duties in Scripture that we have is to care for the poor. And yes, in part, one of the ways that God measures the integrity of our faith is by our concern for the poor and needy. And so tonight, the way I'm going to be preaching is a little bit different. One thing I love to do is I love to take one passage of Scripture and just rip it apart and go word by word and verse by verse and tear it apart and let's look and examine all that passage of Scripture. And I love to go verse by verse and book by book and all the way through, but we're not going to do that tonight. We're going to kind of hammer through all of Scripture and just kind of see what does Scripture as a whole say. It's kind of like what Pastor Bill did last Sunday night where he, where he just took a topic and dealt with it. What does Scripture say about the perseverance of the saints, eternal security? Well, we're going to look tonight, what does Scripture say about dealing with those in need? And so, first of all, what I want you to see tonight is that God cares for the needy. God cares for the needies. We look through Scripture, we see this over and over and over again. When God looked down upon the people of Israel and he saw them wallowing in, in slavery and the hurt and everything they were experiencing, God looked down and he saw them and he had a heart for them. When children are dying today in Africa because they don't have any clean water, God looks down upon them and he has a heart for them. He cares for them. When there are believers brothers and sisters in Christ in North Korea right now who are looking just for grass to eat because they're under such intense persecution. God looks down and he cares for those needs. He cares for them. So now I, I just want you to listen. I'm going to list off several different passages. Just listen. Don't try and follow along. Just listen and hear what Scripture says about God's concern for those in need. Psalm 86.1, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. And then we see next that Scripture says that God does answer those in need. Psalm, eight, Psalm 72, 12 through 13, For he will deliver the needy when he cries for help, the afflicted also, and him who has no helper. He will have compassion on the poor and needy, and the lives of the needy he will save. Psalm 140, verse 12, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Psalm 35, 10, all my bones will say, Lord, who is like you? Who delivers the afflicted from him who is too strong for him and the afflicted and the needy from him who robs him? Psalm 82, 1 through 2, God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? It's a picture here of God standing among a group of people and saying, I am the Lord God, the judge. How much longer will you overlook those in need? And here he says, I am going to rise up and, and stand for them. That's what we have going on in this next passage. Isaiah 41, 17. The afflicted and needy are seeking water, but there is none. Their tongue is parched with thirst. I, the Lord, will answer them myself. As the God of Israel, I will not forsake them. Psalm 12, 5. Because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he longs. 1 Samuel 2.8, he raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he set the world on them. Psalm 109, with my mouth I will give thanks abundantly to the Lord, and in the midst of many I will praise him. For he stands at the right hand of the needy to save him from those who judge his soul. Do you hear the heart of God there for those in need? 
for those who are the oppressed, for those who are crushed, those who are poor and and hungry and thirsty and, and have nothing for themselves, for the orphan, for the widow. Do you hear the heart of God in those passages? And that's just a taste. There are so many more that we could list out and describe in this. But we see over and over and over again that God defends the cause of the poor and the needy. But this isn't just something that we see in the Old Testament. This is something that we see again and again in the New Testament. If you want to flip over to Luke chapter 4, we'll look at a passage real quick. Luke chapter 4. Jesus is just starting his ministry. We'll start out in verse 18. Jesus starts starting his ministry. He goes into the synagogue, and he quotes from a passage in Isaiah. And he's quoting from this passage, passage in Isaiah. He quotes from something that's very interesting, why he chooses this topic. Listen to what he says, Luke 4, 18, going through verse 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to, now listen to what he says, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Do you hear all the references there in that to the needy? How many times have I heard that and not even given a thought to what Jesus said there to why he came? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, the needy, all those who are oppressed and downtrodden. Now, don't you find it interesting that out of everything that Jesus could have quoted, this is the passage that he chooses to quote at the beginning of his ministry. Passage that lays out clearly God's love, God's heart for the poor, his concern for those who are in need. Just a few chapters later, uh, in, in Luke 7, the disciples of John the Baptist are questioning. They're asking, wondering, is Jesus really the one who was promised? And so they ask John and say, all right, it, who is this Jesus? Is he the one that was promised? So John sends them over to Jesus. And so they ask Jesus this question. Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? And starting in verse 22, this is what Jesus says is the evidence that he's the expected one, that he's the Messiah. And he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. You hear what he's saying there? His evidence that he's giving is that all those who are the downtrodden end of society, those who are rejected in society, who have nothing in society, he has reached out and ministered to them. This shows that this is the heart of God. God has a, a, a concern for those who are in this position. So Jesus can say, hey, I'm meeting their needs. I am ministering to them. I'm doing miracles to them. Hey, this shows that I really am the Messiah. There's no question, no question in Scripture. God is concerned for the needy, the orphan, the widow, those who are powerless, those who are oppressed, those who have nothing. God has concern for them. So, first, we see God's concern for the poor. Second, God judges those who do not care for the needy. God judges those who do not care for the needy. We need to listen to a few scriptures 
to hear what Scripture says. Proverbs 17, 5. He who mocks the poor taunts his maker. He who rejoices at calamity will not go unpunished. Notice, notice how some things are equated in that verse. The one who mocks the poor is as if he's mocking the Creator. Mocking the poor is essential, is basically the same as taunting your Creator. God says, He who rejoices at calamity will not go unpunished. Proverbs 21 13. He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. He who gives to the poor will never want. He who shuts his eyes will have many curses. Give to the poor, you'll never want. Shut your eyes to the poor, and you'll have many curses. I hope that when you hear this word curses, you'll think back to what we studied in Sunday school last week when we talked about, when we were studying in Deuteronomy, how there were curses upon the people of Israel if they were not obedient to the law that God had given. Does anybody remember what some of those curses were? Anything? The curses about being sent out, being separated from God, put out of the land. So the idea here of, of curses falling on the people for not caring the poor, caring for the poor and the needy is a serious thing. It's serious business because it's equated with them being driven out from the land that God has given to them. Give to the poor you'll never want. Shut your eyes to them. Ignore them and curses will fall upon you. Perhaps more than any other passage that makes this stand out is a passage in Ezekiel. Turn over to Ezekiel 16. Flip over there. This is, a, this is a passage that I'd read before, but never really given a, a lot of thought to until recently. Ezekiel 16, uh, starting at verse 4. I'm going to read through this, but I'm going to tell you what, what's going on here. The, the writer here is setting up a comparison. And what he's doing is he's comparing... Judah and Sodom. You remember, remember the city Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. So he's setting up a comparison. So listen here to what he says. Ezekiel 16, verse 44. says, Behold, everyone who quotes Proverbs will quote this proverb concerning you, saying, Like mother, like daughter. You are the daughter of your mother who loathed her husband and children. You are also the sister of your sisters who loathed their husbands and children. Your mother was a Hittite and your father an Amorite. Now your older sister is Samaria who lives north of you with her daughters. And your younger sister who lives south of you is Sodom with her daughters. Speaking of Judah here. Saying, Judah, your sister is Sodom. Yet you have not merely walked in their ways or done according to their abominations. But as, but as if that were too little, you acted more corruptly in all your conduct than they did. All right, now here's, here's the thing. Listen to this. Catch what it says here. As I live, declares the Lord God, Sodom, your sister and her daughters, have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. Listen, catch this. This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and the needy. Had you ever read that and thought of that before? What do we normally think of when we think of Sodom and Gomorrah? We automatically go back to Genesis 19 in which the, uh, the cities were destroyed. And remember how Abraham was pleading if there, if there is just ten righteous men and no righteous, 
No more righteous men than that could be found there. And so God destroyed the city. And remember the, the, the immorality and the homosexuality that was going there and how the men of the city were beating on the doors of lots. They let us come in and let us defile the, the visitors that you have with you. And that's the, that's the sin that we think of. But what is it in this passage that Ezekiel cites as the sin of Sodom? Listen, listen to it again. This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance. They had abundant food and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and the needy. It's almost shocking that that's what's cited as the guilt of Sodom. But this just goes to show us the seriousness that God takes for his people caring for those who are in need and the seriousness that God has in his concern for those who are, in, who are poor and in need. But, but listen, listen to what it says in verse 48. Sodom isn't as bad as you are, Judah. Sodom, your sister and her daughters, have not done as you and your daughters have done. How can it possibly be that God can look down on Judah, his people, and say, you're worse than Sodom? Your guilt is worse than theirs. How can he do that? Because Judah and all of Israel had the clear written law of God, what they were called to do, and they weren't doing it. Flip over Deuteronomy 15. Deuteronomy 15 lays it out clearly what the people of Israel were supposed to be doing. Deuteronomy 15, starting at verse 7. Judah had been given these commands. They just weren't doing it. If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns and your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need and whatever he lacks. Beware that there is no base thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of remission is near and your eyes hostile toward your poor brother and you give him nothing. Then he may cry to the Lord against you and it will be a sin in you. Here's verse 10. You shall generously give to him. Your heart shall not be grieved. When you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. The, for the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. God gave clear command to the people of Israel if there is poor among you, do not close your hands to them, but freely and generously give to them what they need so that there will not. Their needs, will be, their needs will be met. And Israel failed to do that. Over and over again, we see in the prophets, the prophets condemning Israel because they did not care for the poor. And we'll talk about that more next Sunday evening. But the words that are here in Ezekiel 16, to me, are some scary words. Listen again to Ezekiel 16, 49. This, is the, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance. They had abundant food and careless ease, 
but she did not help the poor and needy. And I wonder, could that ever describe us? You had abundant food and careless ease, but you did not help the poor and needy. Now, I want you to notice something here. Catch this. Catch what's going on. God doesn't just judge them because they oppress the poor. He doesn't just judge them because they were actively going out and doing something to step down on the poor and needy. But God judges them because they were ignoring the poor and needy. They were ignoring the poor and needy while they lived in luxury. So one thing as we as we look at our own lives and think about this, we, we cannot say that just as long as I'm not oppressing people, as long as I'm not just stepping down on somebody and, and, and causing them harm, it's okay. We can't even be ignoring those in need. Number one, God cares for the needy. Number two, God judges those who don't care for the needy. This means, then, that it's the Christian's duty to care for those in need. And I, I'm just stealing this next point right from David Platt. Uh, God, in part, measures the integrity of our faith by our concern for the needy. Listen to Proverbs 29.7. The righteous is concerned for the rights of the poor. The wicked does not understand such concern. If you're righteous, you're concerned for the rights of the poor. You're wicked, you don't. See the, see the relationship that goes on there. It's the duty of the believer to care for the needs of the poor. Scripture even goes as far as saying that caring for the poor is one of the evidences of a Christian being saved. Now remember, one of the things that Pastor Bill has been teaching us is that salvation isn't just a matter of us coming forward, walking an aisle, praying a prayer, and, and filling out a card. S salvation is a matter of the Spirit coming within us, working in us, and as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 17, us becoming new creatures. We are brought from death into life. And when we're brought into life, then there are certain things that happen when we're alive. If we're alive, our heart beats. If we're alive, we breathe. If we're alive, all these different things happen. And so scripture has all these things that it lays out and says, if you're alive in Christ, this is what will be happening in your life. And 1 John is a book that says this clearly. It lays out all these different evidences says, if you're a Christian, hey, this is what's going to be coming out of your life. So take note of just a few of these things that are listed in 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. The one who says, I come to know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. The truth is not in him. All right, here's what we have set up. If you're a Christian, then you'll obey his commandments. If you're not a Christian, you won't obey his commandments. See, obedience flows out of being a believer. 1 John 2, 9. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. Until now. Hey, if you hate your brother, you're giving evidence that you're not a believer. If you love your brother, then you're giving evidence that you really are a believer. Because when the Spirit works within us, that love will flow out to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's an evidence of the Holy Spirit being within us. 1 John 2.19. Here's an important one. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out 
so it would so it would be shown that they are not all of us what john is saying here is hey if you're a believer then you'll be involved in the body of christ if you're not involved in the body of christ if you are not a part of worship you have to question whether you're truly a believer because it says they went out from us but they were never of us true believers will worship with the body of christ now we get to first john 3 14 through 18 remember he's been laying out all these different evidences for what a christian is we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren he who does not love abides in death everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him we know love by this hey if you're a christian you are going to love and here's how you love here's here's how we know what love is that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren for whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him how does the love of god abide in him love acts love of christ acted love of christ sacrificial death on the cross so we have love of christians acts the love that christians are to have acts it does something what john says that that something that christians do when they love one another is they care for one another they meet each other's needs and so john says hey if you see a brother of yours or a sister of yours in need and you close your heart and you ignore that need john says how can the love of christ abide in you it doesn't make sense how that could how that could happen The evidence, one of the evidences of us being truly a believer is that we will care for those in need. Care for those in need here in our body, the believers right here. Care for those in need in our region around us. Care for those in need throughout the world. We'll have a heart for those in need. Because love of Christ, sacrificial death, seeing us in need, died for us. Us believers have the same kind of love, and that love acts. It does things. <clears throat> Probably the clearest example of this is Matthew 25. So flip over to Matthew 25 real quick. This will be the last passage that we look at. Matthew 25, starting at verse 31. This is a very well-known passage. <clears throat> Jesus is talking about what's going to happen at the judgment. And it's a passage that you know. It's talking about uh, the, the separation of the sheep and the goats. And so listen and, and hear what is taking place in this. Verse 31, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right, and the goats will be on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now listen, here is the evidence that we see that these people who are on the right are truly his. They're truly his sheep. So, for, so verse 35, <clears throat> For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. Naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. The, these are the evidences that he lists for those who are his own, his sheep. Now, skip on down to, um, to verse 41. He's talking about those who are the goats, who are on his left. 
Then he will say to these on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. You see the evidences that are there? The believers, those who are a sheep, care for the needy. Those who are not, won't. And notice again, Jesus doesn't say, I, I was sick and you made me sicker. Or I was in need and you kicked me while I was down. I was, I was poor and you oppressed me even more. No, he just says, I was, I was needy and you, you never met my needs. You ignored me. Out of, out of everything that, that Christ could have listed here, all, all the different things, this, this is what he chose. Again, are we continuing to see the heart of God for the poor and the needy, the concern that God has for the poor and needy? And are we starting to see the duty that, that Christians have to care for those in need? Don't understand, misunderstand what I'm saying here. Our salvation is never earned by doing things. Our salvation is never earned by caring for the poor, for the needy. But flowing out of our salvation comes a lot of things. Flowing out of our salvation comes through the Spirit. Flowing out of our salvation comes love for one another. Flowing out of our salvation comes care and concern meeting the needs of those who are needy. So what's the conclusion of the matter? What, what are we to do? Do we need to, to go and sell all we have and give to the poor and to the needy? Maybe Jesus commanded one person in Scripture to do that. Maybe not. We've read a lot of Scripture and talked about a lot and thought about a lot. And really, tonight, all I want you to do is two things. I, I want you just to ask yourselves two questions. <clears throat> I want you to ask yourself honestly, number one, am I concerned for the poor and needy? And number two, what would it look like in my life to care for the needy? Just, just two simple questions. But what I don't want us to do is I don't want us to walk out the door and ignore the needy. I don't want us to, to hear all these different passages of Scripture and, and walk out and, and just forget that we've heard about the needy. Because they're all around us here in Somerset, all throughout the world. So seriously, ask ourselves, am I concerned for the needy? And what would it look like for my, in my life to care for the needy? Over the next few weeks, we're going to continue talking about this. And you, and you see listed up here something called Reach 82. Reach 82 is a ministry that Todd and I and, and the other pastors here have been working on. And, uh, and it comes from uh, Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4. And it's listed at the bottom there. It says, Vindicate the weak and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. These are, these are commands that are given to God's people. And it's actions that we're to do. We're to, to vindicate, do justice, to rescue, to deliver those who are, who are oppressed and need. 
And so what we're going to do is we're going to continue thinking about this. And then on May the 16th, we're going to have a special evening here in which we kind of lay out a lot of different ministries that we as a body, as individuals, and as families can be involved in in reaching out to the needy and caring for the needs. And we're going to be continuing to do things in our community this summer and this fall about how we can meet the needs of the needy here in Somerset. So this week, keep this on your heart. Think about, am I concerned for the needy? And what would it look like in my life to have concern for the needy? Let's pray. God, we just give thanks to you that that you have uh, blessed us so abundantly. God, we, uh, uh, we have more than we could, we could ever deserve. And God, I thank you most importantly for our salvation. And God, I thank you for the calling that we have to, to reach out to those in need. God, God we, uh, we are the only ones who have what those in need actually need. The government can't provide what's needed because what's needed is the gospel. So God, I pray that you will lay on our hearts how we can reach out and meet the needs of the needy here and around the world. God, let us not be like Judah who just ignored the poor. Let us not be like Sodom who just didn't care. God, give us the love and concern for those who are needy for those who are powerless and have no hope. Pray this in Christ's name.